Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church, Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. Today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. We're going to take a two-week break from our normal Bible review series for Palm Sunday and then next week, of course, for Easter. And uh, we're going to take a quick look at the highlights of Holy Week. And then we're going to take a more focused time on the responses of some of the people in the life of Jesus to his passion. So, Holy Week, what is it? What is Holy Week? Holy Week is the action-packed season finale of Christ's earthly life. It includes him right after he raised Lazarus from the dead. It includes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It includes his cleansing of the temple, his final teaching, some of his deepest, most sharpest teachings into the world and challenging the Pharisees and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Some of his most deepest teachings were given to the disciples during this final week. Some of his sharpest debates, of course, the Last Supper when he gathered with his disciples and then his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and then his passion and the crucifixion. You know, it's notable that such large chunks of the Gospels are dedicated to Christ's final days. Matthew 21 through 27, Mark 11 through 15, Luke 19 through 23, and John 12 through 19. Nearly half the books of John are dedicated to his final week of his life. The gospel writers focused on this. Therefore, it's appropriate for us to focus on it as well. Jesus' final week on earth was intensely focused. First, it was focused on his teaching. And then on his suffering. And so that brings us to passion. The passion of Christ. The passion of the Christ. So passion, what, what does that mean? What's that word mean? It's not passion, not like eros or physical love, but rather intensity. I'm passionate about something. It's an intensity of feelings, of dedication and focus. You know, as a hobby, or as, a, as a source of entertainment, I'm passionate about Lord of the Rings. My kids are passionate about Mario Brothers. There's different things that each one of us is passionate about. Thankfully for us, Jesus was passionate about his mission on earth and his dedication to the Father, his fulfilling the will of the Father. And it all came down to this final week and then the final day of his life. These are the things that are typically associated with his passion, his suffering, his prayer in Gethsemane after the Last Supper, his betrayal, his arrest, his torture, his abandonment by his disciples and his father, his crucifixion being suspended on a cross, and then finally his death. All these things on this list happened in the final 24 hours of his earthly life. You know, pain and suffering, it focuses our attention. Have you ever been through a really difficult thing, a harrowing experience, car accident, a trip to the hospital that you weren't expecting, sudden, awful news? You know, time slows down. And all other concerns drop away. Politics doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. 
the mundane things of life don't matter. During these times of intense focus, it can be a time of grief, physical pain, emotional pain, regret. On this Palm Sunday, I'd like for us to focus on the intensity of the grief that surrounded Jesus' suffering. My goal is for us to be a little bit introspective. It's the grief of Christ, not only Christ, as he went through these terrible things, but the grief of those who were around him and who knew him best. Christ's death was foretold. It was inevitable. Genesis 3, 14 through 15. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The offspring of the woman will strike the head of the serpent, meaning he will be defeated ultimately, a fatal blow to the head, but the serpent will strike his heel, meaning there will be consequences, there will be a cost for that victory. Disciples, his followers, by their actions, it would be, it's, it's clear to us, they had no context or expectation for his resurrection from the dead. They knew scripture well. But they were taken by surprise and distressed by Jesus' death. Let's look at the form that some of this distress took. And then as we're looking at each of these characters, I'd really like you to pause for a moment and be reflective. As to what piece of this reflects your heart? What can you learn from these people and how they responded to the death of Jesus and his passion? Judas. Judas was the money handler. He, he kept the purse. He was trusted. He was disappointed. Ultimately, his scripture doesn't go into great detail about his motives. Probably like all the rest of the disciples, probably like all the rest of the, the Jews in that time period, he was hoping for a rescuer from the Romans and Jesus. It was becoming increasingly obvious Jesus wasn't going to do that. So Judas cuts the deal with the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. He sought them out, and they were very eager to work with him, and they paid him 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Judas brought the soldiers to the garden. It says when he went to the garden to pray, it says Judas showed up and a whole mob, an armed mob showed up. Judas brought them to the garden. Judas grief at Jesus, not fulfilling his expectations. And then when he saw how Jesus had been treated, his grief turned into despair and regret that he couldn't dig himself out of and judas killed himself his grief drove him to an action which was betrayal and then it drove him to despair and then he killed himself rather than seeking forgiveness or repentance a tragic consequence of grief zechariah 11 12 and 13. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This magnificent sum, which they valued, so much they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. In keeping with our theme of the scarlet thread as we go through the scripture, these things in the New Testament are pointed to and prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament. Judas' betrayal was prophesied. His grief manifested with self-pitying despair. Peter, 
Let's look at Peter, one of the disciples, one of the leaders of the disciples. At the end, among his many brash things he did, at the end of Jesus' life, he said, Lord, I'll never betray you. I'll never betray you. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to betray me. Before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to betray me. He loudly said, I'm not going to betray you. And then, of course, as the evening went through, Peter denied Jesus three separate times. He snuck in to watch the trial, and he was recognized by the people, servants of the people who were conducting the trial. And they said, aren't you one of his followers? And he said, no, I'm not, loudly. Three times at the end it says he was cursed and said, no, I'm not. I'm curious how they're going to do that scene in The Chosen. It'll be very powerful how they, how they do his um, trail, his denial of Christ. When he, heard the, when he heard the cock crow, Peter was struck in his heart. He wept bitterly. And he left and he went back to fishing. Zechariah predicted the scattering of the sheep. Peter's departure. Strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah 13.7 This was clearly seen when Christ was arrested. His disciples scattered. Thankfully for Peter, thankfully for us, thankfully for the church, Peter's grief resulted in repentance and restoration. Such an easy contrast between Judas and Peter. Judas's self-despair and self-pitying suicidal impulse and Peter's deep regrets, tears that were wept, and yet it resulted in genuine repentance. Again, where are we on this? The centurion, very simple, very brief. The centurion gets one line. Surely this man was the son of God. One of the Roman centurions who crucified Christ was astonished. Was this soldier like simply part of the guard standing by? Maybe he was one of the people that whipped him and cursed him and spit on him and hammered the crown of thorns onto his head. Scripture doesn't say. But this centurion, this Roman, watched what was happening. And his grief was manifested as astonishment. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured. He seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. Isaiah 52, a prophecy of Christ's abuse, his torture, his, the physical attack they made against him during his trial. Maybe the centurion was one of the people that caused this disfigurement. Did he believe in Christ? As he watched and saw the response of Jesus to all this? Or was he simply amazed? Scripture doesn't say, but his heart was moved. And I think the analogy here for us is, is your heart moved by spiritual things? Is your heart moved by spiritual truth? What do you do with it? Are you amazed? Are you like, that's interesting, that's cool, that's, 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 or is there some more permanent, lasting change? It comes over you. Are you going to be the centurion that's just watching in amazement and saying, yeah, that's something different there. 
and then walk out of here and forget. I pray not. Mary and John, Mary and, and others, several other women, including Jesus' mother Mary, several other Marys, John, his disciple, they followed Jesus to the foot of the cross. Ha. That was a dangerous thing to do. And they witnessed his death firsthand. Hmm. How many of you have um, sat at the bedside of a loved one or a friend or anybody when they've passed away? They've left this world. Either something you knew it was coming or maybe you didn't know it was coming. You watch them die. His mother watched him die. It was an act of faith for them to be that faithful. It was grief. I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like to watch one of my children die, but she went and she watched it with unblinking eyes. Few of Jesus' followers faced their grief and they looked death in the face. The challenge for us, of course, to watch the bravery and the faith of Mary and John. Is can we, are, are we able to look at the spectacle of what Christ did plainly, slow down enough to think about it, to understand what's really happening as he's hanging there on the cross. As we saw in our study of Numbers, Christ's crucifixion was foretold. Numbers 21, 8 and 9. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. There's a Michael Card song, one of my favorite. It's called Lift Up the Suffering Symbol. And it says, lift up the suffering symbol, place it high upon a pole. Tell the children to look up and be made whole. Can you face what he did for you? Can you face not only that, but it was your sin that put him there. It was my sin that put him there on that pole. Are you willing to look up and grieve at what he's going through and, and not my sin? Of course, then there's faithful women who followed Jesus. They went to prepare his body after the Sabbath. This is an important detail. These women... Mary says, Mary Magdalene, and again, some additional Marys. They went to prepare Jesus' body after the Sabbath was over. Why is this important? The fact that they went to prepare his body. Why is this a significant detail? Any thoughts? Michael? For his resurrection, yes, good. But what happens before his resurrection? He's dead. They went to prepare his body because they believed he was dead. They saw him die. In their grief, they went about the normal preparations for death and mourning. And then they had an additional spike of grief when they thought his body was missing. But they were faithful. 
their healthy grief of going to prepare his body, it turned to joy, thankfully, when Jesus revealed himself. Psalm 118, 22 and 23 says, The stone that the builders has rejected shall become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. The simple question here is, I mean, and maybe a little bit broader even this, is grieving healthy response to grief? Do you allow yourself to grieve when you have a loss? Do you shut it away? Do you open yourself up to the people around you who can love you and care about you and want to help if they can? Importantly, do you grieve in faith or despair? We could spend many hours, most of our lives, asking that question. Do we grieve in faith or despair? And have you been surprised by finding the Lord in the midst of your grief? Like these women found, their grief, fulfilling their responsibilities, was surprised by joy. Of course, last but not least, Jesus himself experienced grief walking through these final 24 hours. He asked, Lord, he says, can this cup be removed from me? If there's any way this can be removed, please take it away. His humanity on display. He knew it would be hard. He suffered physical torture. He watched his followers abandon him. He looked Judas in the eye and said, go do what you have to do. You know, we often marvel at the endurance of physical pain. But what does it feel like to lose your friends in the midst of that? You have a car accident and you're hurt. And the, your people, you see someone who knows you nearby and they turn and walk away. Hopefully that's not happened to me. I'm just picturing what those scenarios would look like. How would that feel? To be in desperate need. To watch your closest friends walk away from you the presence of his father depart the ultimate blow the ultimate blow faith he had a special connection to the father of course he would go into the wilderness and seek his father's face the blessing of the father was transfiguration occurred this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and then my sin and your sin caused him to say Lord, where are you? You turned away from me. None of us can imagine what that feels like. But it's worth meditating on. And then finally, of course, he felt the pain of death. The final breath, the final pain, the blood flowing down his body. Everything that I suffer every loss that I take, every thing that you suffer, every loss that you feel you've taken, every betrayal, every hurt that you've ever encountered, he can relate to it. He can empathize with it. Hebrews says, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. It definitely falls into the easy-to-say category. But I really do encourage you, take heart by the fact that he knows exactly what you're going through. The depth of your pain, the depth of your disappointments, the unfairness and the injustice of what's being done 
He knows. I thank God for that. There's an Old Testament passage that best summarizes Jesus' experience during the Passions, Isaiah 53. I'd like you to take the flyers, and then I'd like you to read that passage to one another. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. So, finally, we come, we see all these characters. Of course, we focus on Jesus, and then we, now we need to think about ourselves. Can you slow down for a minute? Can you absorb the meaning of Holy Week, the culmination of his life, the final 24 hours of suffering, and what he did? And he did it for you. What is your response? Have you heard this a zillion times? And it's glazed over the top of your head. Have you heard it before and said, I don't know, I don't believe, I don't care? Have you heard it before and it <sighs> sinks in anew? And you can't comprehend it. And that's okay. Can you just sit with it for a few moments? This week is going to be super busy, as every single week is. Can you slow down for a minute? Can you embrace the fact that it was your sin, my sin, that caused Christ's suffering? And that he willingly, gladly, lovingly went through everything that was just covered because he loves you. He cares about you. The Father has prepared a way for you to be reconciled to him. Romans 5, 7 through 9. But God showed his great love for us while we, well, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. I exhort you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Ask for forgiveness. Return to him. Don't settle into despair. Don't stay in the weeping, but receive the gift that he offers you freely. He loves you. He died for you. And he provided for our salvation. So many responses. Judas, bitterness resulted in despair. Peter, brashness, and followed by genuine repentance. Mary, simple devotion in spite of grief. The centurion, astonishment, but unknown commitment. Faithful women, duty, fulfilling their duty in spite of their grief. Jesus focused on the Father's will in spite of an intense suffering. So which one is you? Can you relate to any one of these in particular? Maybe, maybe slow down. Take some time today to think about these things. We've got this handy. Isaiah 53. I'd encourage you today, after the, either maybe during or after the potluck or when you get home, if you have a minute, make a minute. Make a minute and read this again. God judges sin. He always has. Sin can.
cannot resist in his presence. <laughs> Jesus said, if there's any other way, any other way, there is no other way. Judgment, his death was the only way that sin could be forgiven and wiped out. You are accountable for your sin, just like I'm accountable for my sin. Jesus had to be human so he could suffer and pay a real price. I encourage you to think about this. I encourage you to pray about this. I encourage you first to go to God and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What is it you want me to do with this? Of course. And then there's those in your life, those who know you well and love you most, that can offer offer a, a listening ear and encouragement. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them what you're thinking. Ask them questions. Pour out your heart. Don't be alone in this. And of course, if I can be of any help or encouragement or assistance, I'm also available to talk and share my own personal experience of how the Lord changed me from a a doubtful, anxious, confused young man into someone who, who was constantly struggling with guilt and doubt into someone who actually trusted him and had a sense of forgiveness. It had a purpose for life. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the reality of our sin. Help us to stare at the crucifixion with unlinking eyes like Mary and John did. Open our eyes and hearts to the reality of your victory. Jesus, you have the victory. Allow us to dwell with our grief in a meaningful way, not pushing it aside, pretending it doesn't exist, or responding to it in despair, but rather in faith. As it says in your word, grief is in the evening, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. We look forward to that joy which comes on Easter morning. Amen.